Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the most important affairs currently in the sport of boxing. Last week, me and Vail, we stocked it and maloned it, but this week we're back with the big three. You know, it's kind of hard to make our team. You know, Vail is like Curry, Danny's Clay, and heck, I guess I'm Draymond Green. Now, speaking of basketball, fellas, man, uh, first and foremost, is everything good with you fellas? Yeah, everything's cool. You know, business as usual. Just happy to be here, you know, with my brothers talking some uh, boxing. Yeah, man, I'm I'm good. You know, I woke up today, had had a good hot yoga session, uh, came back, checked my phone, had a little bit of hateration on it, but you know what I mean? It, it's all good. I'm used to it. Yeah, we're going to ignore the hate, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to ignore that. But, uh, you know, speaking of uh, basketball, you know, I made the basketball reference. You fellas fill out a bracket, and if so, what them brackets looking like? Now, now I, I didn't fill out a bracket. I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. I did not because <laughs> uh, now everyone's complaining about uh, Kentucky. But uh, I, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I didn't do one either. I used to, but um, at some point, when I stopped watching college basketball as regularly, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be a fan. And so uh, as a non-bracket filler outer, I've been enjoying this chaos. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I know that uh, I, I did. I filled out, actually, I filled out three brackets and I couldn't tell you how well I'm doing, but I'm, I'm certain that everybody's bracket is messed up at this point. You know, who would have thought that Kentucky was going to lose? It was a guy. Um, I was I work with he said that on March 17th St. Patrick's Day he said he was up at the MGM and he said the guy came in he said he was decked out with his St. Patty Day gear on that from hat you know from the head to toe right got the hat on green shoes and some type of shirt you know with a leprechaun or whatever on it he said he came in and he said that he was gonna put a hundred dollars on St. Peter's and do one about five racks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. But who would even thought to put that money on that team? You know what I'm saying? Like $100 on them? Right. So it's crazy, man. But yeah, everybody's bracket is messed up. Now, speaking of bracket busters, we almost had one last night, you know, as far as upsets, you know, uh, out there in the Big Apple in New York. So we're going to start off this episode by talking about the knockout artist, Edgar Berlinga. He was fighting um, against Canadian Steve Rose. What did you think about that fight last night, Vail? Oh, man, I, I was incorrect, man. And, and props to Danny for, for seeing something that I did not see. See Edgar Berlinga, you know, the knockout artist, of course, 18 and no, 16 knockouts. Uh, he was taking on Steve Rose, who was 21 and one with 12 knockouts. Uh, Steve is a, a small, super middleweight. He really a, is a middleweight. I think the last notable, notable fight that I saw was his fight against uh, Gennady Golovkin where, you know, he, he gave a, a decent account of himself until he got knocked out in the fourth round. So Edgar Valenga, he's coming off his, his last fight with uh, Marcelo Esteban Caceres. And, and Caceres, uh, you know, pretty much gave him a little bit of scare. And Valenga claimed that he had a torn bicep, but he did go down one of the rounds. And it went down hard where he was, it seemed like he was hurt. Uh, so there's still some questions about Berlinga. So coming in this fight, uh, my first thought when I predicted it was like that uh, Berlanga should should stop Rose pretty much easy. He's bigger, you know, than, than someone like a Gennady Golovkin, even though Golovkin is more proven 
you know, Verlanga is, is, is a real super middleweight and he's a big one at 6'1 and it with a, with a 73 inch uh, wingspan. Um, so when this fight started off, I didn't even start scoring this fight. I was like, hey, I, we'll just watch Verlanga, you know, knock him out within six rounds. So when the sixth round came about, I'm like, this fight is a close fight. So when this fight ended, I can't even, I'm not even 100% sure that Berlinga just won it going away. So, but, but um, Berlinga did win a unanimous decision, but th- this fight, he did still have some trouble. Like he, it, it was some things that, that, that showed me, that told me that he has some, he needs to work on some things in his game, uh, specifically, you know, cutting off the ring. Uh, he basically followed rose around the ring like the entire fight you know and and, and while doing that he, he, he allowed rose to you know stop at times and rose would stop and plant his feet and hit uh berlanga with with some, some you know some, some right hands and specifically uh i know rose had a, a counter right catching berlanga with and it, it wasn't a good look for berlanga now, now for someone watching the fight yeah berlanga won the fight and it wasn't like he was just getting beat up or anything like that he was winning uh, he was definitely the harder uh, puncher in this fight. But it, it, it seemed like uh, once Berlinga steps up and fight uh, a super middleweight that can pretty much take it and give it, he's going to be in some real trouble. Like, let's say, let's let's imagine that he was fighting someone like a David Benavidez. That would be a problem, you know. So hopefully Berlinga's team, you know, look at the tape of this fight and go back and, and work on some things. And not that... Now it's not to say he's been exposed that all is lost on him because I, I used to say the same thing about uh, Jaime Mugia and Mugia seemed to have went back and and you know with his team uh, and and go to boy matched him a certain way and he started working on those things that he got and he got a little bit better but uh, Berlanga you know he won his fight but it, it wasn't like a very very impressive performance and even in the beginning of the telecast I was like Tim Bradley was a hater. But he proved Tim Bradley right. <laughs> Tim Bradley was right. And Berlinga still got some things that, you know, he needs to work on. Um, so, you know, it was almost an upset. But hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, going to be on the lookout for what, what's coming next for Berlinga's career as he moves forward. Because I, I love watching the life cycle of, of fighters and, and watching them improve their game. So, you know, decent win. wasn't impressive. I also think I deserve a shout out. And I, I, I said that when we made these predictions, I was talking about the upside of this gentleman. And I, like I said, I don't see it. I don't see him being a, a, a fighter who's going to crack like the top 10 pound for pound. I think that he's capable of being in some good scraps that you still would be entertained by, but not necessarily does he have the skills, you know, that that's selling to, to reach those lofty levels. No. As far as what I see, not going to break the fight down. And before I even get started, man, I just want to shout out. I forgot to say this in the opening. Shout out to that, that Jamaican cutie last night. You know what I mean? I was on the dance floor with her. She was winding it up. She made her brother feel like uh, I was Sean Paul. You know what I'm saying? Or Buju Bantan. So I just want to say, hey, baby, and guan guan. Now, this fight right here, what I saw was Berlinga, um, as I stated, it was, it was another lethargic effort on his part. Um, last fight that he had against uh, Caceres, you know, that wasn't really anything to write home about. And in addition to being lethargic, it just exposed some of the holes that he has in his game. So, for instance, the things that I see 
needs to work on. And those those 16 knockouts did him a disservice um, to start his career off because that's really not who he is. He can be that against that level of opposition, but against tougher opposition, you have to work on different aspects of your game. And when I was coming up, wasn't a boxer. You know, I had a coach when we played basketball, right? Our team, when we would play, sometimes we wouldn't look as good. Now we got up to being the number four ranked team in the nation and whatnot, very talented team. But it wasn't like he just put us out there to blow everybody out because we could have did that if we just went out there and played nine times out of 10. We were just going to just rack the points up and everybody would be like, oh, you know, they great. That's the greatest team we've ever seen. But no, he didn't take that approach. What he did was each game that we played, we worked on different offenses. We might have a one four set. We might have this type of set. We might work on this defense, that defense. And so what he was doing was just building up until once we make it to the playoffs, we can go ahead, he'll see what we're really good at or see what another team can't uh, defend against or what they can't handle on defense. And then that's how we'll play that particular team. So we built up to that. Now, by him getting all of those knockouts, he never did those types of things. His coach never was able, you know, to put him in positions to work on the things that he needed to work on up to this point. So now the holes that I see, I see that, um, he has trouble against moving targets. Uh, Rose yesterday provided a moving target for him and he couldn't, you know, catch him, you know, the way that he wanted to because he was always like moving around. He never catch him uh, when he wanted to. So he has to work on that. Um, he doesn't know how to cut off the ring, as you stated, Vale. And one of the most glaring things that I saw is he has really, really slow feet. That's something that he should have really been working on. He has to do extra, extra work in order to not be so like sluggish, you know, with his feet, like it's very, very slow feet. And then also now, unfortunately, after the Caceres fight, he doesn't have the same confidence as he did before because he used to throw a lot of haymakers. And yesterday he looked hesitant to throw those patented power shots that he normally does. And I think that Caceres fight, not only did he get dropped, but I think Caceres hurt him a little bit more than, um, a lot of people would think they think that he just got dropped that particular moment, but considers landing some, some really heavy shots on him. And that might be weighing on him now, you know, as he's fighting, as he's moving forward. So to me, Bill, I don't think when you're talking about somebody like a Benavidez, no, he's way, way far from being able to compete against somebody like that. What he is um, right now, I wouldn't even put him in with a gatekeeper. I wouldn't even put him in with somebody like a Hassan and down because what he might do, he might mess around and rejuvenate one of those dudes career. I see somebody like Dominique Wade might be trying to call him out. Like, man, go ahead and fight me. You know, even though Dominique Wade, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because Dominique Wade lives in the area and I want to have to, you know, knuckle down with the fella. Um, but anyway, um, it, it, it was a wake up call, you know, and Steve Rose, not only, is he not really a power puncher? So you really wouldn't have to worry about like getting dazed or anything like that by him, but he was a much smaller guy. You know, he was coming up from middleweight. So it's, it's an eye opener, you know. What I think they should do in closing is I think that they need to rebuild his confidence. So maybe his next fight should be against somebody who's like a glass Joe type of a, a, opponent 
to get his confidence back, and then they can go on from there. Um, but that's all I have. I do agree that him getting those first round knockouts was probably the worst thing to happen because apparently, you know, he was more of a boxer in the amateurs, and then you know he got his grown man strength and fell in love with his power, and that's kind of what he started to hang his hat on. Um, I personally scored this 96-94, um, which one of the judges also scored, and then he got 97-93 for the unanimous. Um, the thing about this is that the fight was tailor-made for a knockout. They bought up, like you said, a smaller guy, 37 years old, and he was supposed to present enough adversity to make it interesting, but he was also supposed to succumb to the pressure. and he did not succumb to the pressure. You know what I mean? Like he kind of made the pressure his advantage, which I'll talk about in a second. But Berlin is going to have to unlearn that power enough to become a boxer again. I didn't see a whole lot of improvements. He, he, he's added Mickey Bay to his corner and, and Kay Karoma. And that's going to take time. But um, I think they should continue to bring him along very slowly, like as long as they can. Because in going back to him being like this knockout artist, you know, the city got behind him and he became sort of this celebrity. And so now he's like prematurely headlining cards. And so he's going to have to iron out these flaws like in 4K, like in front of everybody now. You know what I mean? And I kind of had these concerns after seeing him in the last fight and I have them even more so now. Um, another thing that bothered me was his lack of self-awareness in that post-fight interview. Um, you know, he blamed Rose for running. And me personally, I think there's a difference between getting on your bike and, and using your movement as a strategy. Like, there's two different things behind that. Um, and Rose was using his movement to keep Belinga off his feet. And instead of cutting off the ring, he was, like you said, following Rose around. And he was plotting his feet. Footwork was very slow. And it played into what Rose wanted him to do. And so, you know, you got this guy um, who's clearly the bigger guy. He's not using his jab. He's like, he's lunging, he's either lunging forward or he's like plotting to get in range to throw a haymaker, not really setting up anything. So, you know, that said, this went about the way I thought it would score wise. Um, I thought Rose moved a lot more than he would have. Um, but I think that was a good. Thing, um, in a sense that you know Berlanga again in the post-fight interview was saying stuff like I guess I have to accept the fighter is going to be running well yeah fighters don't want to be hit man like they're not going to stand in your way to just be hit and so you should accept that like it, it shows like self-awareness but you should accept that and you should prepare for that so you can learn how to cut off the ring and so you can learn how to get your footwork right so that you can you can actually like stay on your feet so you can throw something of significance. Power isn't really going to be power if you're like not sitting down or anything and you like you have these slow like he might as well have been fighting in Tim's man. His footwork was just that slow to me, you know. And so um I'm not gonna write him off or anything because you know there's a reason that he's here, but he's gonna have to figure some stuff out and hopefully his hype gives him the time because he's in this weird space that you know, again, the city has embraced them. The city has also been underwhelmed these past two fights. And so, you know, good luck to the kid. Y'all got anything else on this one? 
Yeah, I, I got something else. I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like the the post fight comments about you know a uh, rose running using that as an excuse. If fighters running, then then it's up to you to do something about it. That's up to you to have the game to to track them down. Fighters who are great at cutting the ring off, you never hear them use the excuse that somebody's running from them, you know. So that that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. In addition to following him, you also kept your, kept your head on the center, and so you were there to be hit, and so. You're complaining about him running, and you're just getting clocked by his jab. You know, Rose is going up top and at bottom, just catching up with that jab and working behind it as a smaller guy. So also last night, uh, there was a, a fight at light welterweight against uh, Reg- Regis Progray and Tyrone McKinney. Uh, I understand, Danny, you saw that fight. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I did. So Progray is now 27-1 and one with 23 knockouts. McKenna... 22-3-1 and one with six knockouts. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but Progray looked good, man. Um, coming out into the first round, he was standing tall. He looked very comfortable against a slightly taller guy. Uh, he's very sharp, and his punches had some zip in them. And then at the beginning of the round, of the second round, he used his jab to set up an overhand left that put McKenna down. Um, now, to McKenna's credit, he was still game, but overall – for the rest of that round and really the fight in and of itself, he just didn't have much to offer and Progray had way too much firepower for him. Um, McKenna was stopped in the sixth round due to a cut, which was honestly probably the best case scenario for him based on the way that fight was going. Um, The reason why this was a fight of significance is because, you know, it's expected that Josh Taylor would vacate his belts. And so, and this was also a WBC eliminator. Now, at the top of the 140-pound WBC rankings, you have Jose Zapata at number one, Jose Ramirez at number two, and Progray sits at number three. Um, it is expected that once the, the belts are vacated, Zapata and Ramirez are going to fight each other for the vacant WBC. Now, as for Progray, he's called out Jack Catterall after the fight, and Catterall actually just signed with the same promoter, which is Probellum, and is also interested in that fight. And so you could see those two next, which I think will be a good fight, um, or you could see Catterall fight for the vacant WBO belt, again, assuming Taylor vacates. Now, for Catterall, he's actually, even though we all pretty much agree that he got robbed, more or less, against Taylor, he could wind up getting the second best scenario because he's still ranked at number one. And so he could end up either fighting again, Progray. Um, now at WBO, there's a guy out of Australia, Leon Perro. Uh, he's ranked number two and they have actually Teofimo Lopez ranked number three. And so there are definitely some good fights to be made here. I think that Progray will be game against most of the guys that I listed, I think he began against all of them. But, you know, I don't know what he showed here versus what he would show against someone like uh, Jose Ramirez, who is going to be more aggressive and come forward. It's like, will Progray, will his pop be, be enough to neutralize that? Or, you know, for someone slick like Catterall and then both being southpaws, you know, how will that play out? Because Catterall's style is a little bit basic, but he does the basic things very well. And so um, I think there's some good fights to be made. What, did you guys have any thoughts on the fight or what this could mean for the 140-pound division? 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I've, uh, first, before I even start, I just want to say, um, as far as his opponent, I've never heard a white dude named Tyrone before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. That was that's what I wasn't expecting a guy in the rain that I saw. But anyway, he up with a, a gallon effort. And as far as progress is concerned, you know, he's a good, solid pro, man. He's fast hands, good power. He's tough, strong. And it's not much to, else to his style, but, you know, he's just a solid, solid professional, you know. And as far as the fight is concerned, you know, he dropped um, McKenna in the second round. And then I thought that McKenna playing it safe, you know, trying to back up pretty much the rest of the fight. But on occasion, you had progress. He would catch him in the corner and or on the ropes, and then he would land some solid shots, and he was busting them up, and, you know, hence why they ended up stopping the fight because of that cut that was on his eye. You know, like I say, McKenna, he, he, he was fighting now. Don't get me wrong, but he was primarily fighting for his life. You know, Regis was just, to me, was just getting some good work in. It was like a, a sparring match to a certain degree. After a while, he was playing around, you know, with McKenna, you know, as he was um, fighting, you know, primarily for his life. And uh, Regis, it was like a glorified sparring session, if you will. And it just seemed like he was just getting some good work. Now, as far as what I saw yesterday with Regis, you know, in this fight, I can't remember the last time he had or when he fought um, Ivan Redcash, but that was seemed like it was a while ago. So to me, it was, it was a good fight just to stay busy, you know, work on a few things. And he did add a few wrinkles. He added a few good moves. I noticed now you know, I don't think it was just because of the opponent, but he looks like nice and relaxed in the ring, you know, now. And he can either come forward or he can go backwards. He has good timing and, you know, he can crack. You know, so I see to me, based on what I see, if you saying those guys are going to be fighting each other, I see another title in his near future. And I think Regis is going to be a problem for anybody at 140 pounds because of that power and because of those skills that he has. So that's what I saw. Yeah, yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I, I think Progre is a problem when he's one of those guys that, you know, because of the landscape at 140, he's that guy that sometimes they overlook, which they shouldn't because he's, he's like the cream of the crop. Um, but when I look at the landscape at 140, it's going to be some interesting fights that can be made. Uh, you have uh, Jack Catterall, you have uh, Jose Pedraza. And then you've got the, the lightweights that could move up in the future. Like uh, we have Tiafimo Lopez, as I guess he's really at 140 right now. And then you have uh, Devin Haney. But then you also have uh, Ramirez again, you know, and, and you have uh, Josh Taylor if he decides to stay there. I mean, that, that really uh, pretty big. And I, I'm not sure if I will favor Josh Taylor for sure in, in a rematch if he stays at 140 because of the weight issues and how he looked in his last fight. So 140 is... is, is it's an interesting weight class. I think outside of, of, of some of the guys moving from lightweight, I think 140 is one of those weight classes that they're not, they're really not afraid to fight each other, you know, and, and reaches pro grade is one of those guys that already proved that. So uh, yeah, like you said, he's a problem for anybody at 140 and it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here in the next, I say about two years. The only thing that I'll add and it's not necessarily his fault, but he's been, Compared to other fighters, he's been relatively inactive since COVID pretty much because, you know, he fought Josh Taylor in October of 2019. And then after that, his next fight was in October 2020. And then he fought Red Cash in April of last year. And so um, 
not a whole lot of action, especially at the elite level since that Josh Taylor fight. And I bring it up because, you know, he's 33 now. And, you know, if you're going to remain that active and then you have some of these uh, these younger Lions moving up in that weight class, too, you're going to get to a point where if you're not already where I don't and I don't think that's the case where it is already. But time is not going to be on your side if you continue fighting. You know what I mean? One fight a year on average. And so I hope that whatever happens, you know, works his advantage in the sense of him being busier and so he can fight these elite guys while he still has a chance so whatever happens i'm hoping that he gets whether it be Ketterall or, or whoever it is i hope that he gets another fight this year and we see him at least twice a year uh moving forward until he decides otherwise now on saturday we were supposed to get virgil ortiz versus michael mckinson on the main event of that the zone card and the co-main was Alexis Rocha and Blair Cobbs. However, Virgil Ortiz was sick. Therefore, the Blair Cobbs and Rocha fight was moved up to the main event. Will, I understand you saw this fight. What did you think? I thought this was a really, really good fight, especially for Alexis Rocha. And these guys, really, they have contrasting styles. You know, coming into the fight, Rocha, and I really didn't know too much about Rocha. I have may have seen Cobbs before, but I saw him a lot this week leading up to the fight because he was talking real reckless. You know, he was putting himself in conversations talking about, you know, Spence and you know other fighters, but he was kind of like disrespectful towards Spence, you know, but you know, he, he did what he had to do to sell a fight. You know what I mean? Because he definitely will have you interested to see, you know, what he, he brings to the table. He reminds me of, to a certain extent, he reminds me of Keith Thurman, but Keith Thurman isn't as brash, you know, as Cobbs is. But and then also Keith Thurman at least has something to back what he is that he says. Now, again, these guys had a contrasting style as as, the, as I checked them out in the ring where Rocha, real strong volume puncher, um, really short, compact punches that he throws, really tight guard, really, he's calm and he's real deliberate in his approach. Where Cobbs is, is an athletic, both guys are southpaws. Cobbs is athletic, you know, he has an awkward, like left to right movement type style. And he's the opposite of having a tight guard. He's definitely not what you would call a conventional fighter. Um, as when the fight went on, you know, I'll give a brief breakdown of what I saw. A lot of good action, like I say, especially when it comes to uh, Rocha. He, he impressed me yesterday with his performance. And so the first one I, I gave to Rocha, second round, uh, Rocha landed, you know, some flush shots. And then I thought Cobb had a really good bounce back round in round four, round, by round, I mean, round three. Round four, Rocha, you know, took control again. And then not only was he landing a straight left, but he added the lead right as well as some good body work. And then in the um, fifth, Lex, um, Lex is what they call him, Lex. He landed a big left and he landed a series of shots, uh, other left hands while Kyle was trying to tie him up. And then Kyle was in some serious trouble. And it was like two minutes left in that round. One thing Kyle did show, he showed a lot of heart in this fight. You know, round six, Rocha came out gunning. And then um, round seven, like I say, Cobbs, he, he's one of those guys that, Although he may be in trouble, but you're going to have to finish him off because he's, he has that 
ability to come back. Because in round seven, I was thinking the tide maybe turning because he landed, you know, a few big right hands on um, no big lefts against Rocha. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, he's showing a little something, you know. But then round eight, he dropped Cobb, you know, and then Cobb barely made it out of that round. And then round nine, it was it was in a clinch where Rocha landed a left hand because his left hand was free. And so then he landed a couple more, but then what happened is Cobb ended up letting him go. And when he let him go, he clocked him with a left. And then after that, you know, he, he ended up um, just taking him out after that. Really, it was a really impressive win, like I say, for Rocha, because Rocha is the type of fighter who he kind of reminds me, this fight reminded me of maybe not like as far as the quality of fighters, but the way the fight went on and the, the way the fight played out, I should say, it was kind of like a um, Mark, Marco Antonio Barrera when he faced Prince Nassim. You had a guy who was more technically sound against a guy who was a little bit more herky-jerky, and they have that style where there's not it's not really fundamentally sound. You know what I mean? And, and the guy who had the fundamentals, he just took advantage of those opportunities that the other guy um, where he was vulnerable at. Now, as far as the grows and glows of the fight, I thought, like I said, I thought Rocha, he looked like a combination of Marco Antonio Barrera, Mikey Garcia, you know, Virgil Ortiz's type of fighter. Like I say, not as skilled, but I see some of that in him. You know, like I said, I was, I was really, really impressed. And then as far as Cobb, what he showed me is that he has a lot of heart, you know, although he's one of those guys that people will say, you know, he needs to eat crow and all this because he talked all of that noise. But again, I get it with him. What he's trying to do is he's just trying to sell tickets and, and put himself in a situation where he's different than other people and that you want to see him. And so he can maximize his full potential as far as the dollars and things like that. So it, it comes, you know, with, the territory, you know what I mean? You talk crazy and then you end up getting beat. But like I said, the fact that even when he got stopped and the referee stopped the fight, he was still throwing punches. And he was, he almost landed a combination on the referee. So he never stopped fighting. So you got to give him respect for that. So, um, and as far as the growth, I just think that Kyle, you know, he needs to keep his hands up more like throughout the fight he really he never was was in a situation where he had his hands up like both hands up never never ever throughout the course of that fight did you see that and he kept getting clocked um and um my man Roach was just timing him you know with those straight punches that he was throwing and he throws too many wide punches and those straight punches get there much quicker and then also he's going to have to learn how to clinch because when he was hurt that's one thing that he didn't do. And then lastly, he might, well, a second to the last thing, I would advise him to get a haircut because I think that with that throw that he has, that he that a fighter can like either catch the hair or catch, it's just too much of a bigger target. And then it looks worse when you're getting hit and your hair is kind of like flying a little bit. It just, it just looks worse. And then lastly, I would quit all of the tough talk um, until you know, I get my skills together, but all in all, man, quality victory for Rocha. It was a good quality fight to watch if you haven't seen it. And um, I look forward to seeing what Rocha does next. And I even look forward to see what Cobbs has, 
you know, um, in store for his his comeback, because I'm sure that's not it for him. Um, but we shall see. You guys have anything on that fight? I'll throw in a little bit. I thought it was a good fight, too. I'm not sure what to make of Cobb's trajectory. One, because he's 32. And two, because what got him into the limelight outside of his mouth was the fact that he's just like this exciting fighter in the sense that he's been down, but he's found a way to win up to this point. The problem is you get to a certain point is you're eventually going to come across somebody who's skilled enough to put you down and keep you down, which is what happened on Saturday. And so, yeah, I'm just not sure what to make of what's going to come from him. Like, you know, obviously I wish him well in the sport of boxing, but at 32 at, and when you're in a division as stacked as welterweight, where you have the guys who are your age or older that are already established sitting at the top of the division. And then you have young guys who are 10 years younger than you who are coming up to work to eventually possibly take the place of those guys that are your age. I'm just not sure where he fits into that. I, I think you just answered your question. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> His trajectory, the trajectory. Like that's, you know, if he was going to beat somebody, it would have been, he had an opportunity in the seventh round. See, and what I didn't mention is this, is that when he, they, they were trying to set Rocha up for the come in reckless and to catch him with the left. They did. He did it twice. He caught him maybe like 30 seconds left in the seventh round, and he caught him like towards the end of the round. Unfortunately, didn't do anything. Like Rocha was still there. And it's like, dang, like that even is more demoralizing when not only am I getting beat to a pulp to a certain degree, like I wouldn't necessarily say a pulp, but he was really catching a beating. Um, and then I find out that I hit this guy with all I had and he's still right there. Um, he just is too many holes in his game, mainly the fact that his technical skills aren't there. And so at that age, by the time he's able to learn some of the things that he needs to learn, if he ever would learn those things, it would be too late because now I'm old as I don't know what. That's going to take at least two to three years where he is because he gets hit way too flush. And I'm not even sure, Rocha, that's what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to see where he goes from here because that division is stacked. I don't even know his trajectory. And he looks solid against him, but I think it was more so because he was fighting him. And then also not only is he going to always be difficult for Cobb because his technical skills are there. There's a lot of technically sound dudes at welterweight. So Cobb, and he's not fighting elite dudes. He's fighting this dude who is still learning himself. But it's just that matchup. Like if you have those guys who are technically sound, like Mikey Garcia, when you put him in with somebody who's not technically sound, he's going to look really good. And, but if you put them against somebody who's technically sound and they have a couple extra, um, uh, uh, what is that, Floyd Mayweather, what, uh, special effects, you know, and then that's he'll be in trouble then. But if you put him against somebody who's not fundamentally sound, he's really going to eat those guys up. And that's where Cobb is going to face too many guys who's technically sound and they have some special effects. He's lucky he, he ended up... Um, getting that learning experience yesterday from Rocha. But what I, I do see him being able to do is he may be able to get him a couple more wins and put himself in a position where he can make a, a, a pretty good payday. But 
the who he faces. I don't see him being able to beat somebody. I just see him being able to position himself, talk his way into another fight where he can make some money. And hopefully the way he talks, that he can use that in order to be able to get paid some way, shape or form, either in a sport of boxing, maybe he can go and do some of those antics and wrestling or something like that, because he is a somebody that you want to see and hear. You know what I mean? He's really good. You know what I mean? He, he, he has that star potential. But I just don't think it's going to be in a sport of boxing as a boxer. Right. Um, <laughs> I just heard y'all describe Raleigh Romero. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, shout out to my, my, my pops, you know, for putting me on Blair Cops. Because I, I hadn't heard of him until my father said something about him. So I, I was able to catch him. And, and as y'all said, yeah, he, it's some things that he does lack, but he'll always uh, be able to put himself in position to have a payday because, yeah, he can, you know, he's a great talker, but also he has a style that that's, you know, even if he loses, it's going to be exciting to see him in there with anyone. And, and I'm pretty sure, you know, guys would want to, you know, uh, like, like I, I would, I, I could see someone like Keith Thurman taking, you know, taking on, uh, Cobb's opponent like let's say you have one of these what's ways you know coming off a loss or something like that I see them taking you know a Cobb as an opponent just to get their feet wet and and, and that be an exciting fight and exciting enough that it warrants a payday for Cobb so I can't see that for him I see what y'all saying in, in regards to that but that was that was a hard loss especially at 32 to state you know he did show some heart but that that was a uh one of those it wasn't like he just got stopped i mean it was he took some shots in, in that fight so i mean we'll, we'll see what, what where he goes from here he yeah, couldn't so. get out the way <laughs> you know what i'm saying like what's called couldn't miss man and that's that's some he was taking some really solid punches throughout that fight and he didn't have any answers for it at all yeah it's almost like i'm not talking about styles but i'm talking about trajectory he's on that adrian burner side of his career like already except for Adrian Broner had already built himself up and Adrian Broner already had like kind of a pedigree, but Adrian Broner's at the point where he's kind of taught himself out and the skills aren't matching up. You know what I mean? And so, cause I'm looking at, at Cobb's amateur record. He fought four fights in 2012 and went two and two turned pro in 2013. He fought 10 fights between 2013 and 2019 and now, you know, between 2019 and now, that's where he fought the other, what, uh, seven, eight fights. But his backstory is actually crazy. I'm looking at the Wikipedia now, and, you know, his mother, he moved his mother from city to city until she died when he was 11, lived with his grandmother till she died, and then he lived with his father, who relocated to Guadalajara after he became an FBI fugitive. And that's where he found boxing. So he's born in Philly and found boxing you know, later in life in Mexico. Yeah, I saw that. I was listening to him. Well, I'm not so hard on him, you know, because he, he is somebody who's overcome a lot. And like I said, I get it. I get what he's doing as far as the antics and things like that, because he's overcome so much that just a little bit of humiliation inside the ring is not going to do too much to him. It's no sweat off his back based on what he's going through. So I respect him for all of that. It's just... You know, he just has a lot of holes in this game. That's all. All right. So this past Tuesday, uh, Showtime, they roll out their boxing schedule for the rest of the year. 
And that schedule starts March 26th with Tim Zhu. He's going to be taking on Terrell Goucher in his Showtime debut. You got Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fandura. They're fighting for the number one ranking at Super Welterweight. You got the rematch. Well, before you before that, you have Errol Spence and Udenis Ugas. They'll be fighting in a unification bout at Welterweight. You got Jamel Charlo. He'll be taking on Brian Castaño in their rematch for the undisputed titles at 154 pounds. You have David Benavidez in a title eliminator against David Lemieux. Then you have Javanta Tank Davis. We'll be taking on Rolando Romero uh, for the WBA World Championship at lightweight. And then you have another title fight between Stephen Fulton and Danny Romero for uh, the WBO and WBC Super Bantamweight World Championship. Then you'll have Jam Jamal Charlo defending his middleweight championship against uh, Marsic uh, Selecki. And then lastly, you have Mark Maceau. He's gonna be facing uh, Ray Vargas for his WBC featherweight championship. So again, what do you guys think about this fight, these fights that are coming up in the spring and summer? I think it's a pretty good schedule. It's just the two things that stand out that I, I see. The first thing that I see is, you know, uh, the pay-per-view fight. Um, you see, you have these two pay-per-view fights that are highlighted, right? But only one is deserving of being a pay-per-view, and that is, you know, the Spence-Ugas fight. Um, Javante Davis versus Rolando Romero. It, it, you know what? I'm a Tank fan, but I feel like they're trying to, to force him into being a pay-per-view star when he's really not on that level. Yeah, he, he can sell some tickets. And yeah, you know, he, you know, he has some belts and some, some championships. But put, I'll, I'll put it in perspective like this. Adrian Broner has only been on pay-per-view like, what, once? And that was against Manny Pacquiao. And Adrian Broner was a guy who was, I, I feel, and I'm not comparing him as a fighter to, you know, Javante Davis. I'm, I'm just saying as far as status. I think Adrian Broner was more marketable at his height than than Javante Tank Davis is currently. And, and even Adrian Broner was, you know, he called himself Mr. Showtime. And at one point he was Mr. HBO. He wasn't really on pay-per-view like that. So it's interesting that they're trying to force him in it. And of course people are gonna pay for it and that's what's gonna make it that's gonna that's what's gonna justify it for PBC. But it's just that fact that I feel like they're just trying to force it down our throats. I don't know. I, I won't be paying for that pay-per-view. <laughs> the second thing I see is you have two fights on here where the, the A side of these fights should be fighting each other. And that's the, the, the Benavidez versus um, the Benavidez versus David Lemieux and also the Charlo versus Selecki. I, th I think it's interesting that they got these fights as separate when those guys, two guys should be fighting each other, especially considering that they're trying to position these two guys, either of these guys into a fight with Canelo, you know, and I feel this, not only feel it's really even them, I feel it's PBC. I feel PBC doesn't want to throw all their, their, their cards on the table. And what I mean by that is this, let's say Benavidez and Charlo do fight each other, right? somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. So, you know, the loser, they have to rebuild again, but the winner is going to go on and fight Canelo. Uh, and, and, and judging by what we see, what I see in Canelo as a, as a boxing fan, 
that person's probably going to lose either, making them a, a, a double loser. And I think PBC realized that, and they're showing how much faith they really have in, in, in both of those guys. It's either that or they just don't want to, they just plan the business game and they don't want to risk it. Um, so that's the only two, you know, issues I really have. But people, they, they, they normally do, they, they lay out, lay out uh, these cards around these times, um, three, four months in advance. And normally they're, they're decent fights on, on the cards. So I don't have any, I, I think it's, you know, a, a pretty decent matchup. When you compare them to their peers, like uh, I say at the zone, when the zone unveiled their lineup also, I mean, I, I think I like PBC's lineup a little bit better, but I, it's just that those two issues are just glaring to me. So what I, what, what I would say is this, and, and before I give my, um, take on what I think about the card. I think it's good, first off, because it's spring and summer. So if it's just the spring and summer, then I, I, I may be lowballing it as far as the what I'm going to say. But I do want to uh, mention or speak on something that you mentioned. It's not, PBC has nothing to do with Charlo fighting Benavides. Like, it's not them holding, like, the fight up. I'm sure that they would love to have that fight. If you listen to Jamal Charlo, he doesn't want to fight Benavides. He makes all types of excuses. Dude has to get a vaccine. He should be fighting cruiserweights. He should be doing this. If he wants to fight the dude, all he had to say, and, he, and Mike Tyson made an excellent point when he was on Hotbox, call him out. If you want to fight somebody, then say, no, I'm not fighting anybody. I want to fight him. And then if he, they say that he doesn't want to fight, if he makes some excuses, then he'll say, yeah, you see, see that? He don't want to fight. But no, nah, that's the thing. It's the fact that fighters can fight whoever it is they want to fight if they want to fight them. I just think that he's cool with these different type of title defenses because he can make some money that is, is uh, safe. You know what I mean? It's not risky. And so he can keep doing that. And then he, he can put himself eventually to get a mega fight against Canelo. Not that he'll be really prepared for Canelo. It's just the fact that now I can make this huge payday and then I'm good. That's my end game. And so I get it. I'm not upset with him for that but i can tell you can tell when somebody want to fight somebody because they you, you can't um it's no wiggle room it's no out they don't create an out if they want to fight somebody it's like a relationship if you don't really want to be with somebody you can create that out but if you really want to be with them then you can go ahead and figure out a way that that's, it's going to stay together so it's the same thing now as far as the card is concerned right um I'm going to give it a four out of five. At first, I was three and a half out of five stars. You know, I can't give it a five mic. You know what I'm saying? But here's why. And I'm going to go to the grows and glows. And I do want to give you an opportunity to, to um, cook on this too, Danny. So I'm not going to speak too long. Now, the fights that I do really like. So to me, it's, it's a three, three and a half, four. You know what I mean? So check this out. So the ones that I like, I like the Lubin and Fundera. I, I, I love that fight. And I can't wait to see it. I'm very interested in the Spence Ugas. Who, who, who wouldn't like that fight? And then I'm really, really uh, interested in May when the Charlo and Castillo 2 takes place for su supremacy at 154 pounds. Um, the possibles is the David Benavidez and Lemieux. It's, initially, I wasn't too cool with the fight, but at the same time, this will be Benavidez's first time in my eyes fighting somebody with two-handed punching power. So I want to see how he responds to it. And I want to see if he has some other in his game outside of just the constant pressure and power punching and stuff like that. Will that be enough against somebody who all they need is one shot, you know, to turn the tide. So that's the reason why that's a possible for me. 
Um, and then the ones that are decent to me, like the Goucher and Zoo, I want to see what Zoo is going to do. Since he's up in a level of his opposition, he's fighting somebody that can move a little bit. How well would he be able to handle that? It, what type of fighter is he? Is he one of the upper echelon guys? Is he somebody that Charlo and Castaño need to, you know, keep an eye out for? Or is he just like a French contender type fighter? I don't know because I really haven't studied him that like that. Um, but I did see him once or twice, but it was against limited opposition. The Fulton and uh, Roman fight, I hear a lot of good things about Roman. So I, I want to see how Fulton is going to be able to handle that, um, that, that, that opponent. And then Maxayo Vargas, you know, I think that that could be a pretty decent scrap. I just, it would be better to me if that was their Gary Russell rematch, then I would put that up there as far as the top fights that I want to see. I just think that that should be mandated um, here as opposed to him taking a different defense. Now, the ones that I didn't care for, is the Tank versus Romero. Never liked it. It's just a cherry pick to me. Um, and Tank just needs to up the level of his opposition. I'm tired of seeing Tank against dudes that he's heavily favored against. Like, come on, man. Now, I get it. I also get that, too. I get Tank may just winning some paydays, and that's what it's all about. You know, I'm all for that, you know. But at the same time, and you got to sell your product. So I just don't want to see it and the way they're going about doing it. But I get it. I, I understand what they're trying to do. Don't like that fight. Romero, he's going to get, so I'm going to say this again on record, he's going to get knocked out between rounds one and three, and I'm leaning closer to one. Um, the Charlo and Selecki, you can't keep talking this nonsense, Charlo, and you fighting dudes like Selecki. Selecki may be a pretty decent fighter, but at the same time, you keep fighting these same level opposition fighters over and over, and I'm tired of seeing I want to see you fight against somebody like that. Like, like this really would have been good if it was, if it was Munguia on here or if it was Charlo versus Andrade, something like that then I would have this closer to five stars. But the way it is with the ones that aren't so um, appealing, I have to give it a four out of five. Yeah, um, big picture, I would give it like a 3.5. I think that what makes it so high is like the consistency of those sort of like middle cards, I would say, in the sense of like, you know, Maxayo and Vargas. There's some intrigue there in terms of will McSayo win his first title defense or Vargas will become a two-division champ. Um, you know, it'll be cool to see cool boy stuff back in action after that unification against Roman. And I've heard good things about Roman too. The Charlo Castaño too is going to be fireworks. And I, I, I don't see a scenario where this is going to be a draw. You know what I mean? Like, I think somebody going to sleep. Luba Fedora is going to be good. A lot of intrigue with that. Zoo and Goucher. I think what makes it higher than it could have otherwise been is that Spence and Ugas card being so good from top to bottom. Cause on the undercard you have Isak Cruz and Gamboa. Uh, Brandon Lee is actually coming back on a non-pay-per-view part. And then as you guys know, uh, Stanionis uh, kind of stepped aside so that Ugas can have this fight. And so Stanionis and Butayev are going to be fighting. And so, that's going to be a very good card. That might even be PBC's like card of the year. You know what I mean? Um, or card of the year in general. But, you know, I have the same groans. Uh, their premier fighters outside of Spence are in underwhelming fights. Like, I don't know why they're forcing that Tank really fight on us again. And, you know, if Canelo was fighting Lemieux or Selecki, like no disrespect to those fighters, but people will be putting him in the blender right now. You know what I mean? And... I will say that on one hand, you know, like people were complaining about Tank's opposition and Leonard Ellaby's defense was 
you just got to let these fights play out. You know, like every fighter can't just fight every fighter who the fans want to see them fight, which is valid. But on one hand, I get for fighters like Virgil Ortiz and, you know, fighters on, on that level that are trying to work out and still learn things. But when you have fighters like Tank and like Charlo who have been champions for some time already and are kind of at that point where it's like, okay, are you going to step up and face the elite so we can see where you really are? I feel like that doesn't really hold up. And so well, I'll probably give it closer to 3.5 just because you have the Tanks and the uh, Benavidez and the Charlos who kind of leave something to be desired. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, they just got to dare to be great, especially the ones who were calling out Canelo because what, what you're doing is you're, you're not putting yourself in the way of Canelo. You have to have something that Canelo wants in order to, like, really challenge Canelo. Like, he's fighting Triple G because of the history, but he's fighting Bevo because Bevo has something that he wants. Um, better be able to have something that he wants. Makabu, did he deserve the shot? Not necessarily, but he had something that Canelo wanted. And so uh, those are my thoughts on it. Did you guys have anything else with that one? The last thing I'm going to say, and I caught some of what you were saying, Danny, but when you started, you were saying how they were saying that you can't fight everybody. I just want them to fight somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's, it's certain guys who... That, that's like I said, I, I look at Canelo. Canelo is in that position. He's in a catbird seat. He's done a lot in a sport. He's the cash cow. He's all of those things wrapped into one. And so when you position yourself like that, then you can call shots. It's certain guys who can call shots. Like Spence can call shots to a certain degree, but it just doesn't look good if he doesn't fight Crawford because he got somebody right there that's like, on the same, almost on the same level, or you can make a case that he is on the same level. Um, and you got to face those guys. It's just Canelo doesn't have anybody that's his, on his level. You know what I'm saying? So he's just picking and choosing now what's in the best, his best interest. He He's earned the right to do that. You can't sit up here and act like you calling shots and I'm this big fish and all of this type of stuff when you've done nothing yet. You know, you ever had a signature win? What's the signature victory to say that you're all of this and all of that? I mean, you can say the fact that he's a ticket seller, but you're doing yourself again a disservice by not, you know, facing some of the upper echelon guys, because at the end of the day, once you do face them, you're not going to be ready to, you know, for that smoke because you're not properly prepared. That's the problem that I have with guys. But again, I think that I do get it. And I think that what these guys are doing is... They're just earning a living. And it's like, okay, if I can go ahead and fight this guy for this amount of money, I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not that risky, you know, I, and, and then I can go ahead and feed my family. You know what I mean? So I, I get it. If that's the approach that they're going to take, I'm not going to get too riled up about it. Um, if they're not riled up about fighting, you know, tough, tougher opposition and giving fa fight fans what they want to see. But now that's all I got. Anything else you guys have before we start wrapping things up? Oh, Danny, you want to um, give your, your picks. You know, we, we've put put our uh, records, you know, out there, you know, for the public to know and, and, and hear. And 
um, made ourselves vulnerable, you know what I mean? Whether or not we're going to be correct or incorrect. So we would like for you, sir, to go ahead and, and give your picks, um, especially of the fights that we talked about last week. So the floor is yours. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so out of the six that you guys talked about, uh, four of them stuck. So I'll talk on those four. Um, Tank and Roley, it's not even really much to say. It's just like, you're basically, we, we basically just picking rounds that he think that Roley going to sleep. I'm going I'm to say four, fourth round knockout for, for Tank. Um, the Burchell and the Nakatila, that is very intriguing. The rest of these are really intriguing to some degrees because I don't know how this version of Burchell, you know, post Valdez new weight class is going to look, which makes it hard. But I have to respect his pedigree. And then we look at Nakatila. He just doesn't have a variety of styles. And his strength of opposition just isn't really good outside of – it isn't like world level outside of Stevenson. And it's not like he really learned anything from a Stevenson fight that he could take and apply to Burchell. And so I'm going to have to respect, again, uh, Burchell's pedigree. I don't trust his power to knock out Nakatila because he has a chin, but I, I could see a, a clear decision. Martinez and Warrington is also interesting because they are not the same guys they were when they fought in 2017. Uh, Martinez wasn't looking great prior to catching Galahad with that shot, but he does have that power element to him. Uh, Warrington wasn't looking great against Lara either in that first fight. And while he showed a lot of heart, he doesn't have any kind of pop that will put him back in it after getting put down. And so I could see it going either way, but I just would have rather seen Warrington go through a full fight after getting stopped so I could see where his head was at. But um, you, both of you guys picked, I believe, Martinez KO. Uh, I think I'm going to go that same way. I just, I just don't think Warrington is the same. And I think when he went in that confident and that confidence was shattered against Lara, then I don't know where his head is at, but I, I'm going to lean that way. Garcia and to go. Um, this is another one of those fights where it's like, okay, I can understand seeing where this fight plays out. Like, I, I, I can understand why Golden Boy put Garcia against someone like him. Um, because, you know, to go can crack and he has a chin, but he also doesn't have the skill set needed to expose Garcia's weaknesses. And so, you know, looking at what Golden Boy saw to make this fight, in, you know, in particular, he has a chin to give Garcia rounds, but he also has a style to make it exciting but also get out class. So I think Garcia is going to win that one by a late knockout or decision. So that's where I'm at with it. It's a pretty good breakdown. The only thing, though, you got to – how you going to catch up if you got all the same picks as us, though? You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you got to stand out and sometimes you got to hedge. So I'm going to hedge these uncertain ones. I'm going to hedge. And then when it comes time to shine, I'm going to do just that. You feel me? Okay. Man, yeah, don't play it. They ain't trying to make you risk. <laughs> Take the risk, man. Don't play that, man. If you... <laughs> <laughs> no, that Warrington fight though, like Warrington could easily win that fight. Yeah, yeah, I can see that one. Yeah, hundred percent. I was gonna say he could, but that's not the one I'm willing to take that risk on. There, there's some like I, did, I felt confident that you know Berlanga was gonna win, but I knew he wasn't gonna win by knockout, so I was cool with that one. But those, those Warren is is too much uncertainty with that one, man. Yeah, and what's calm was looking old, man, before he ended up catching Galahad. Right, so, <laughs> yeah, he's like a little old man out there, but you know, his confidence is gonna be sky high going into this one, and he did really well in the, the first time that they fought, you know. Mm -hmm. So, we'll see. You guys have any plans for the rest of the weekend, or, or y'all uh chilling? 
chilling out, preparing for tomorrow, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I got some stuff to knock out. Uh, I'm going to put some sneakers up for sale, uh, probably do some job applications and just kind of meal prep and, and stuff like that. It's going to be a long week, so just get my head together. Yeah, you know, I told y'all I, I was uh, I'm in a process of moving and stuff, so I'm going to get knocked some of that out, but as soon as I get off here, I got to go to Southeast uh, to pick up some stuff. Then that, that'll be it. But they say Southeast supposed to be kind of rough. But you know what I tell them? You know, I say, you know, they love me in the hood like the ice cream truck. So I'll be you know <laughs> You're going to be playing that ice cream man by uh, Master P. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying, good. Good in the hood. But on that note, man, you know, hopefully y'all have a great week, the rest of the week. Hope the listeners enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.